Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Welcome to Tribe Talk, presented by Progressive, making it easy to bundle home and car insurance. Brought to you by Subway, where winners eat. everyone, welcome to Tribe Talk. Happy New Year. Jim Rosenhouse with you for this week's show, our second in a two-part series taking a look back at the 1948 World Series. The Cleveland Indians defeated the Boston Braves in a six-game series, and we will get to the latter half of that series coming up on this week's show. The Indians will be holding another Tribe Fest, the fourth annual now, presented by KeyBank, going to be held on January the 30th. Now, without further ado, we left you last week with the Indians having just taken Game 3, the first home game of the World Series at Old Cleveland Municipal Stadium, a huge crowd on hand, and uh, the Indians had taken that game to grab a two-games-to-one lead. And when we come back, we'll check in once again with Bob DiBiasio, Indians Vice President, to take a look back at the 1948 World Series right here on Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with Indians Vice President Bob DiBiasio. This week we will have play-by-play coverage of Game 6, which turned out to be the clinching game for the Indians held at Braves Field in Boston as they defeated the Braves four games to two to win that series. And uh, Bobby D, we've talked so much about uh, last week about some of the stars for the Indians and just how tough it was for them just to get to the World Series. An eight-team league, 154 games. And believe it, this was the first time in American League history that it went down to a tie-breaking historic playoff game uh, between the Cleveland Indians and the Boston Red Sox. In Game 6, but let's get going with some of the play-by-play action from Game 6. It was a scoreless game in Boston heading to the top half of the third inning. That's when the Indians would get on the scoreboard. 
Going into the top half of the third inning, it'll be Dale Mitchell leading off of the Cleveland Indians as we go to the top of the order. Dale Mitchell, Larry Doby, and Lou Boudreaux. Mitchell flies to center field in the first inning. Bill Boisel, the right-hander, throws. Mitchell swings and lines one down the left field line for a base hit. Maybe for extra bases. Rickard chasing the ball. Mitchell rounds first, digs for second. Here's the throw. It's in toward third. And Mitchell goes into second, standing up with a double. Dale Mitchell lines a double into the left field corner. For the third base hit for the Cleveland Indians off Bill Boisel. And for Dale Mitchell, that's his fourth World Series hit. And his second extra base hit. He had a home run, and now he's got a double. That brings to the plate Larry Doby, who singled the left in the first inning. Left-hand batter, the pitch to him is swung on. There's a long fly ball to deep left field. Rickard goes back toward the fence and makes the catch for the out. And there is Mitchell tagging up, bluffing a dash to third, and Ferguson went all the way down from first base to back up second in the event there was a throw in that direction. In other words, he was sneaking in behind Mitchell, but Dale... Dale Deer caught the voice of Bill McKechnie coaching at third base, yelling to him to get back, and he did. So Larry Doby's long drive deep into left field is caught by Rickard, just about five feet away from the left field fence for the first out in the top of the third. Manager Lou Boudreau is up, hit by pitch ball in the first inning. Bill Boisel throws, the pitch is swung on, hit out in the right field, racing over his Tommy Holmes, and he makes up the ball. Now Mitchell takes the third, he rounds it on his way to the plate. second base is Lou Boudreaux as Lou sliced one into right field and Tommy Holmes raced over got his glove on the ball and then dropped it Mitchell was racing toward third had to hold up thinking that Holmes would get the ball and then when he dropped it Bill McKechnie waved him on it scored as a double for Lou Boudreaux into the right field uh, sector a run batted in for Lou Mitchell scores and for Boudreaux that is his fourth double of the series. And his third run batted in. Indians now lead one to nothing. Joe Gordon up. Gordon takes a high fastball. Ball one. One to nothing. Favorite Cleveland. Top half the third inning. One down. Lou Boudreau leading off second. Bill Boisel throws. Joe Gordon looks at a fastball that's inside. Ball two. What a great player that Lou Boudreau is. He is really tremendous. Activity in the Braves' bullpen. You've got Red Barrett and Vern Bickford, two right-handers throwing. Bill Boisel delivers to Joe Gordon. Curveball stays high. Ball three. Three balls, no strikes. Bill Salkell fires the ball back out to Boisel. Outfield pull, way around toward left. Boudreau leads off second. Here's your pitch. Gordon takes a strike call. And three nothing pitches right in there. Gordon taking all the way. So it's a 3-1 count on the flash. Gordon fly to left field in the first inning. Lou Boudreau takes his lead off second. Stanky tries to dance in behind him, pull him back to the bag. Here's the pitch. Swung on by Gordon. Popped high into the air toward third. Bob Elliott under it right at the bag. He moves over into foul territory. Makes the catch in foul territory. And they're two away. Gordon fouls out to Elliott. About a foot outside the third base bag. Now with two down, up comes Kenny Keltner. Keltner was tossed out by Al Dark in the first inning. Right-hand hitter stands deep in the batter's box in close to the plate. Slightly open stance. Full hitter outfield toward left. 
Eddie Stanky just about two strides to the right of second as we look out onto the field. Here's the pitch, and it's a high fastball. Ball one. Bob Elliott playing deep at third, close to the line. Or as they say in New England, Elliott. One ball, no strikes. And the pitch. Swung on it. Missed strike one, and how that cover did take a cut at that one. He was really slashing. I'll say one thing for Keltner. If Boisel should happen to give him something on the outside that Keltner can get hold of, he's got an entire county to hit it into in the right field sector. Now the pitch. Keltner swings and fouls it off the plate. Strike two, one and two. Of course, Keltner's primarily a full hitter. But every once in a while, you'll find these uh, extreme full hitters shifting their feet if they get the type of pitch they figure they can work it on and hitting to the opposite field. Now, you've got, for example, Tommy Holmes playing almost straightaway center field. He's not more than three strides to the right of a straightaway center field position, and he's the right fielder. You've got Mike McCormick way over in the left center and Rickard way over on the left field line. Now the pitch to Keltner. Swung on and missed right away. the Cleveland Indians come up with one run, two hits, no errors for the Braves, one left on for Cleveland, doubles by Mitchell and Boudreaux, leading to the score, and at the end of two and a half innings, the score is Cleveland one, Braves nothing. So the Tribe had taken the early lead in game six, trying to close out the World Series. They had a three games to two lead over the Braves. It would be anything but easy, though, on a Monday afternoon in Boston. We'll continue with that story when we return as Tribe Talk continues on the Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with Bob DiBiasio, Indians Vice President. We are looking back at the 1948 World Series, the last time the Indians won the World Series championship. They defeated the Boston Braves four games to two, and we are covering game six for you. The Red Sox would tie it up in the bottom of the fourth, and as we headed to the sixth, the game was still tied at one. We're headed to the top half of the sixth inning. The Indians at bat trying to take a lead once again at Braves Field. In the first half of the sixth inning, Joe Gordon, the great Cleveland second baseman, will be the batter. He carried an average of 167 into the game, but it's dropped down to 150. Since his first time up, he fired to left, and then he fouled to third. He's a right-hander. Boisell pitches high and wide, ball one. Bill McKechnie is doing the coaching at third base for the Indians, and Mel Harder, as usual, is doing the coaching at first. Their combination is constant. The wind-up, the pitch, too close, a fastball, and the count is 2 and nothing. Center fielder Mike McCormick is positioned over in left center field. Tommy Holmes is about 100 feet inside the right field foul line in the direction of right center field. Right field is wide open. Here it comes. Strike call, fastball. The count, two balls, one strike. The weatherman has been good to us all through the series. It has, it has never been particularly sunny, but the weather has always been adequate. The pitch. There goes a long fly ball to left field, and that may be troublesome. Rickard is going back near the fence, and the ball is out of the lock for a home run, putting Cleveland in front 2-1. to one. Gordon hit a long, high fly ball that just cleared the fence 
to the left of the huge scoreboard, his first home run of the series, his fourth hit of the series, and it is now 2-1 to one as Philly Southworth rushes some relievers into action in the bullpen. Ken Keltner is the batter. He's a right-hander, and he lets the ball go by on the outside. Keltner got a hit his first time up in the series, and he has nothing in his last 18 trips. The outfield deep to the left. There goes a high pop fly back of third base. Bob Elliott is going back, calling for it in foul territory, and he takes it for the first out. So that's none and three for Keltner in this game. Once more, Bob Lemon and the Cleveland Indians are on top by a score of two to one. The first run of the game was scored by Cleveland in the third when Mitchell singled to left just inside the line, and then after Dolby had flied out, Boudreaux bounced a double off Tommy Holmes' glove near the line in right field. But the Braves tied it up on Elliott's infield hit, a base on ball, and a single. Tucker is the batter. The first pitch is low outside, ball one. He bears a startling resemblance, facially, to Joey Brown, the motion picture comedian. He's playing center field today and has no hits in two trips in the series. The pitch, Tucker goes to first base. And that will bring up tall, left-handed Eddie Robinson of Paris, Texas. Mr. Gordon, a little earlier in the series, collected his 24th hit in World Series competition. And his fourth home run has put Cleveland in front 2-1. Robinson is hitless in two trips. Boisel delivers. Outside. Ball one. Boisel has suddenly lost his ability to catch the corners. And Red Barrett and Warren Spawn, the latter the hero of yesterday's game defensively, are winding up. The stretch. The pitch. Inside. Ball two. Two and nothing. Eddie Stanky charges in from his second base position in an effort to settle down the big South Carolinian. Boisel turned his back on him for an instant, not knowing that Eddie was there. They make quite a picture, by the way. Stanky is very much shorter than Bill. He pats him affectionately on the back with his glove and then goes back to his position. Stanky occasionally, with a right-hander up, will play out on the grass about five or six feet to the right of second base. With a left-hander like Eddie Robinson, he's about 35 feet to the right of second. Tucker leads off. Here's the pitch. Ball three. That was a high, fast one to the inside. And the count is 3-0. Through the first five innings, Boisel scattered four hits. And his most effective stretch was when he retired seven men in a row in the third, fourth, and fifth before walking Doby. Then Gordon broke it up, sent Cleveland ahead 2-1 to one with his home run. Here's the big one. Strike call. Three and one. The big one as far as Boisel was concerned. Not as far as Eddie Robinson was concerned because he got a free look at that one under instructions from Bill McKechnie with a three and nothing count. One man out in the sixth inning. Boisel working from a stretch. There goes the runner. And there's the drive to right field for a solid base hit. Tucker is all the way to third base as Holmes throws into Sankey. Runners on first and third. And Boisel is on the rope. Jim Hegan will be the next batter. Robinson lined a solid single into right field. One of the most solid hits of the ball game and his fifth of the series in 19 trips. He got a free look at that one under instructions from Bill McKechnie with a three and nothing count. One man out in the sixth inning. 
Boisel working from a stretch. There goes the runner, and there's a drive to right field for a solid base hit. Tucker is all the way to third base as Holmes throws into Stanky. Runners on first and third, and Boisel is on the rope. Jim Hegan will be the next batter. Robinson lined a solid single into right field. One of the most solid hits of the ball game, and his fifth of the series in 1950. Jim Hegan has one hit. He singled the left in the second inning, then he went down swinging in the fourth inning. And incidentally, with Mr. Lemon batting back with Mr. Hegan, the Clevelanders have a nine-man baseball team in the field today because Lemon is a good hitter. He hit five home runs through the regular season's play. Hegan has four hits and 17 strips. Time calls. Bill Summers stepped into the breach. He looked over in the direction of the Cleveland dugout, pointed to the pitcher. It was difficult to understand just what was intended. The outfield is set to the left. Tucker on third, Robinson on first. One man out, Boisell in trouble. He takes a stretch. Here's the pitch. Swing and a miss. He poured a fastball overhand. One strike to count. Cleveland has two runs, six hits. The Boston Braves have one run, five hits. Boisell has that one strike count. He takes his stretch. He delivers. Foul tip. That one went right back against Bill Falkell's shin. Bill has been a target frequently in this series. He injured a groin muscle when running during one of the games at Braves Field, but very gamely played yesterday and hit a home run. And then a little earlier in this ball game, when Boudreaux tried the pickoff play, Mr. Lemon hit him right in the seat of the baseball pants with a throw to second base. And that time, a fast foul tip struck his shin guard. But he shook it off. He scouts slow with a count of two strikes on Jim Hegan, waiting for the next one. Boisel gets set. He pitches inside, just barely inside. Hegan was about to swing and then finally decided against it and backed away. So the count is one ball, two strikes. Cleveland leads 2-1 to one in the sixth game of the series and three games to two in the five games played thus far. Boisel takes his stretch. He throws it. There's a ground ball, and that one goes to Elliott. Elliott throws to second. Second to first. And it is dropped, and it is 3-1. Sankey's throw to first base was poor. It was high. It struck the heel of Earl Ferguson's glove, and he knocked it down as the Braves blew a perfect opportunity to retire the side with a double play. Tucker scores on Hegan's fielder's choice. No error is charged. Hegan. Hegan is given credit for driving in a run. He's on first base with two men out. The play was five to four. Elliott to Stanky, and Bob Lemon comes up. Boisel, with luck, could have been out of the inning. But the Braves have consistently been unable to match Cleveland's double play. Here's the pitch. There goes a ground ball right to Torgerson. He steps on first to retire the side as Bob Lemon goes right after that first pitch. One, two runs for Cleveland in the inning. Two hits, no errors, a base on balls, and a runner left. And at the end of five and a half innings of play, the score is Cleveland three, Boston one. So the Indians had grabbed a 3-1 to one lead as the game would head to the eighth inning. We'll pick up further action then after this timeout as we continue with Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. 
Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with Tribe Vice President Bob DiBiasio. Great to have you with us during the holiday season as we have special shows for you these last two weeks covering the 1948 World Series, the last Indians World Series championship as they defeated the Boston Braves four games to two. We're in deep in game six now as we head to the top half of the eighth inning. The Indians leading by a score of three to one. And uh, we'll pick up again Mel Allen and Jim Britt on the radio side as we head to the eighth inning. Indians looking to add a little insurance as they lead it by a score of three to one. And what turned out to be the decisive game six for the Tribe. The score is Cleveland, three runs, seven hits, no errors. The Boston Braves, one run, six hits, and no errors. Vaughn will have to oppose Gordon, Keltner, and Tucker. He didn't pitch to Tucker yesterday, by the way. But the first time he faced Gordon and Keltner, he struck them out. Yesterday, he wasn't throwing his curveball for much purpose other than that of wasting it. He was keeping the Indians constantly guessing by an assortment of slow and fast stuff. He was changing up. His fastball was extremely effective. And two or three of the Clevelanders afterwards said that his pitching had been tougher than any they'd seen in this series. Cleveland has had some great pitching performance performances, and there have been three shutouts, you recall. The authors were Sane, Bearden, and Gromek in that order. Joe Gordon has one hit in three trips today, his fourth World Series home run. He's a right-hander, Spawn gets set, here's the pitch, and there goes the drive towards left field. Rickard goes over fast, takes it, falls down, rolls over, and holds it. A fine play, and it happened almost the feet of the National League left field foul judge umpire Dave Pinelli. And there, incidentally, is another reason why having those umpires stationed out of the line is an excellent idea, because Pinelli was only 10 feet away from Rickard when he described the somersault, and he was perfectly positioned to see that he had held the ball. Keltner, the batter. Keltner has no hits in three trips. Here it comes. Swing of the man. He guessed. Seemed to guess on that. He held his swing until the last instant and then swung very quickly at a fastball. One strike. The outfield is deep to the left. Bond delivers. Throws another fastball outside and the count is one and one. Red Barrett continues to warm up for the Boston Braves. And Vernon Bickford is also loosening up. Spawn takes his wind up with one out and an on. There's a ground ball that bounces away from Spawn. Dark picks it up, throws to first, not in time, and it scores base hit. That's the second hit he's allowed in a relief roll. It bounded away from Spawn, was picked up on the dead run by Al Dark, and Keltner has just collected his second hit of the series. He now has a total of two hits and 21 trips. But there were 19 unsuccessful at-bats in between. He had one of the series' most dismal slumps. Thurman Tucker, the center fielder up. He fouled the third base, grounded the second, walked, and scored the third run. There goes the drive to right field. It's in there. Tommy Holmes fields it on the dead run and holds the runners to first and second. He stepped right into that very first pitch that was fired to him by Warren Spahn 
And now Eddie Robinson comes up with runners on first and second. Vaughn is not the puzzle to the Indians. This afternoon that he was yesterday. Yesterday, Lou Boudreau was the only hitter, getting a double in the eighth inning. And then the next three men were struck out. But now with one out, and it took a fine catch by Rickard to retire Gordon, Robinson is up with two men on. He has one out of three. Eddie is a left-hander. Strike called. That was a slow curveball that came over. Keltner on second base. Tucker on first base. And the Indians are in scoring position again. They now have nine hits. One hit more than they had behind Lemon in his first victory. Vaughn takes a stretch. Looks at second. Pitches. Threw a curveball that missed the outside corner, and the count is one and one. One ball, one strike. Bill McKechnie holds up one finger to be certain that the runners realize the situation is one out. Tucker has a man-sized lead at first. Keltner takes a longer one. Here it comes. There's a drive that goes into right field for a base hit. And here comes Keltner sprinting for the plate with a fourth Indian run. Runners are on first and third as three consecutive hits rattle off Warren Spahn's delivery and Cleveland takes a lead of four to one. That was Robinson's sixth hit of the series. Gilder scored. Tucker went all the way to third base. And we're looking down below to see whether or not Billy Southworth intends to make an appearance. Jim Hegan is getting ready to bat. And Spawn apparently is going to stay in. Cleveland leads 4-1. That was the score by which Lemon won the second game. Spawn takes a stretch. Here it comes. Outside, fastball. Tucker on third base. Robinson on first base. And Robinson's line drive was well over Torgerson's head down the right field line with Holmes running fast to cover. One ball, no strike. There's a throw to first base. Robinson is back in time under Mel Harder's shout of look out. This is the gloomiest day we've had. It has turned into it weather-wise. Another throw to first base, but Robinson is back easily. Cleveland now has four runs, ten hits. And the Indians are still in a rallying position. The outfield is deep to the left. Swing and a miss. That was a fastball, and the count is one and one. The Indians broke a one-run tie, which lasted through the first five innings of play. Time called for an instant. Lou Boudreau hollered from the dugout as Egan got ready to step out. And then Bill Summers insisted that the pitcher wait. The infield is in. The stretch. The pitch, swing and a miss. That was a fastball, letter high to the outside, and the count is one ball, two strikes. The situation in the sixth game of the World Series is inning number eight. Thanks to that fine catch by Rickard, who held the ball off Gordon's bat after somersaulting, Vaughn has been touched up so far for only one run. This could have been a very sizable inning, and still may be. Egan stepped out of the box, rubbed some dirt into his hands, is back in again. He's a tall, well-built, good-looking catcher with a great future. 
Vaughn is ready. Swing and a miss for strike three. A fastball. That's the third Cleveland strikeout of the game. Bob Lennon is coming out of the dugout to bat. He has been a great competitor in this series. In 16 innings, the Braves have reached in for only two runs, one of them unearned. And in 16 innings, if you're further interested, he has scattered 14 hits. And that is mightily effective pitching on any occasion. Robinson on first, Tucker on third base, two men out for Cleveland. Vaughn getting ready to pitch. Here it comes. Foul ball back over the top for strike one. That was a fastball. Baseball is a strange game. And I presume that right now the Braves partisans and Billy Southworth are wondering how it is possible for a team to score 11 runs one day and only one the next. The answer, of course, is in the pitching. There's a throw to first base, but no pickoff, no tag. Robinson was able to get back safely. This is the only stage of the game, by the way, in which there were three successive hits. Here it comes. Curveball high on the count is one and one. One scoreboard has a count of one ball and one strike. The other scoreboard has a count of two balls and one strike. The official scoreboard says one and one. Lawrence Barnes takes a stretch. Robinson has a long lead, and he dares her to pick him off. The throw is to the plate, and they have Tucker chopped off. Here's the throw, and he's out. He tried to knock the ball out of Crawford's hands with a rush, and I'm afraid that Tucker's glasses were broken. He smashed into Crawford. The play, incidentally, went from Spahn to Torgerson to Crawford to Elliott to Crawford, who tagged Tucker, and I fear Tucker's glasses were broken on the play. So at the end of seven and a half innings of play. The score is Cleveland 4, Boston Braves 1. So the Indians were up by a score of 4-1. to one. Boston came back and scored two runs in the bottom half of the eighth inning to make it a 4-3 ball game as we headed to the ninth. So some tension, Indians looking to close it out. We've mentioned the name Gene Bearden a couple of times on our shows already. He did not start that game. Bob Lemon did, but Bearden would play a key role late in Game 6, and we'll hear that as we conclude Tribe Talk after this timeout on the Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with Bob DiBiasio, our final segment as we take a look back at the 1948 World Series. Indians three outs away from clinching the series, leading three games to two. It is Game 6 at Braves Field in Boston. The Tribe up 4-3, to three, heading to the bottom half of the ninth inning. Let's listen in. Cleveland leads by a 4-3 score, and Eddie Stanky will be the Braves' leadoff batter in the last of the ninth. He's a right-hander. He's walked twice. Bearden's first pitch is low inside, ball one. The record, incidentally, for the most home runs in a single game in the World Series is Babe Ruth. That's an answer to a query. Three. Bob Elliott tied the all-time National League mark with two yesterday. Bearden delivers. Ball two. 
That was letter high outside, and it's two and nothing. Bearden has faced three batters, and two of them have hit the ball extremely well. Sinatra's fly and Macy's double. Here it comes. Strike call. There was to be no denying young Mr. Bearden that time. He fired one right down the middle. And it's two and one. Bob Feller and Steve Dromack are winding up for Cleveland. The Indians are trying to nurse a one-run lead in the ninth inning. There goes a high foul fly ball down the left field line. Kennedy running hard, but he can't get it. It fell out of his reach by about 20 feet out in what normally would be the Boston Braves bullpen. Two balls, two strikes. Both Keltner and Boudreau tried, but Kennedy was the only one who had any chance whatever. The outfield with Sankey up is playing well to the left. And his immediate problem, of course, is to get on base. He wasn't up there to wait Mr. Bearden out. As soon as that first good pitch came over with a count two and one, he went after it. And now Bearden has him in a two and two hole. Bearden winds up. Three and two. That was a curveball a ton high to the outside. Incidentally, it is very dark here at Fenway Park. Very cloudy and ominous overhead. But it has been a very happy circumstance if this game went at all. Here it comes. There's a drive foul to left. A wicked line drive that bounces off the facade of the left field boxes. And it's recovered out there by the foul line umpire. Mr. Bearden has at least this edge against the batters in this inning. The darkness, I mean. Because visibility handicaps the batters somewhat on such a day as this when the afternoon wears on. Here's the big one. Ball four. Sankey gets his third walk of the game and his seventh base on balls of the series. There may be a pinch runner. Tommy Ryan is going to run for Sankey. And Sibby 50 will bat for Spawn. Johnny Ryan of New Orleans, Louisiana, is running for Sankey. And Sibby 50 of Buffalo, New York, a fellow townsman of Warren Spawn, will bat for him. This is Sissy's first appearance at the plate in the series. But he filled in handsomely for Stanky during the period of Eddie's injury. No one out. Ryan on first base. Bearden takes his stretch. Here's the pitch. Foul ball. He tried to punt it. Cleveland naturally expects the sacrifice, and both Robinson and third baseman Ken Keltner were quick to come in with the intention of covering the plate. One strike to count. There is no one out. But Billy Southworth is prepared to risk the percentage opportunity of a bunch and sacrifice 50. 
Ken Keltner is in on the grab. Down the third baseline. He's sneaking in a little. Here it comes. And it's inside and low. One and one. Keltner wound up about 50 feet from home plate. 50 is a fair bunter. It's difficult to determine just exactly where he will place the ball. He's very fast. He's one of the fastest base runners the Braves have. And since that's the case, under the Southwest School, he practices bunting, as do Dark and Ferguson. One and one to count. Here it comes. There's the bunt. It's a foul ball, and Hegan throws to first for the double play. Hegan took it. Right out in front of the plate, it was ruled a fair ball, and then he fired it to first base for the ninth double play for Cleveland in the series. Knuckleball, perhaps. It's difficult to determine from here, but the double play was two to three, and all he had to do was wait for Robinson to cover first because Ryan was going on it. Two men out, and Tommy Holmes the batter. And some of the fans are already beginning to leave. Convinced the destiny has been shaped. Strike calls. One strike to count. From a situation with a runner on first base, no one out. An optimistic situation, failing as they do by one run, three to four. The Braves now have two men out, no one on. Here's the pitch. Foul ball. And that one is coming up here. The down, two strikes. Incidentally, Cleveland in this game has had four double plays. So they've had six of their nine double plays in support of Bob Lemon and Bearden. There goes a fly ball towards left field. Going back fast is Kennedy. Kennedy gets there, and he takes it. And the Cleveland Indians are the world champions of 1948. And they are leaping joyously as they go off the field. Bearden is being mobbed. As our Rue Boudreau and out in center field, Tucker and Kennedy come running in arm in arm. The final score, Cleveland, four runs, ten hits, no errors. The Braves, three runs, nine hits, no errors. The winning pitcher, Bob Lemon. The losing pitcher, Big Bill Voisel. And camera flash bulbs are exploding all over the premises as the Braves, Billy Southworth, Congratulate Lou Boudreau, and the Indians have tucked away the bunting in baseball's greatest classic. So the Tribe wins it, their second World Series championship, joining the 1920 ball club. Bob Lemon earned the win. Gene Bearden, they didn't give saves back then, Bobby D., but, man, if you look at the whole body of work, not only in that game but in the series and then to get to this series, what a year for him. He was a 20-game winner, but uh, Bob Lemon and Gene Bearden were each 20-game uh, winners. What a rookie season for Gene Bearden. Well, Bobby D., this was, uh, I'm sure, a great holiday present for a lot of Tribe fans out there. Thanks so much for stopping by and reliving one of the great memories in this franchise's history. Well, a happy and healthy New Year to you and all the Tribe fans out there, and go Tribe! <laughs>
And that's going to put a wrap on this edition of Tribe Talk. Hope you enjoyed it. Until next week, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. been listening to tribe talk presented by progressive making it easy to bundle home and car insurance brought to you by subway where winners eat 